Well, good morning. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to meet me, my name is Drew McCalla. I am super excited to be gathering with you today as we continue our family discipleship series. And if you have your Bible, iPad, iPhone, or uh, some other kind of device, go ahead, open it up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be going there in a second. And while you are turning there, uh, I want to introduce you to my little family since we're in a family series. I got to introduce East Memphis to them uh, a few weeks ago in week one, uh, but now I'm in Carville, so I get to brag on my family again. So I brought this picture. No awes. You don't think, you don't think that little girl's cute? Crazy. Uh, <laughs> that is my wife, Brittany. Uh, we met in college and uh, been married for almost nine years. And uh, for five of those years, though, uh, we went through a long, hard journey of infertility. And uh, we didn't know uh, why we couldn't have kids, but we knew we couldn't have kids. And the doctors didn't know. And we went through tests and procedures and all kinds of stuff. Uh, spent a whole bunch of time in prayer. And uh, we finally, you know, five years later, we went through a process called embryo adoption. Uh, if you don't know what that is, I didn't either, so no big deal. Go Google it. Um, but we went through it, and we had no idea if it was going to work. The doctors didn't either. And uh, lo and behold, by God's grace, uh, we had this little one in September of last year. And uh, her name's Colby Grace. And she's one now, I don't know, whatever, one plus, 12 plus 15 months. 14 months, somewhere. We don't do months, we just do one year. But she's crazy and runs around all over the place and acts like everything's a jungle gym. Uh, Olivia, right here, wave Olivia. She's our uh, preschool director here at Carrierville. Got a whoop back there for Olivia. Uh, Olivia came up to me after first service and said, uh, out of all the toys in the nursery, your daughter wanted to play with the trash. <laughs> I said, yep, she's mine. <laughs> Raised her well. Raised her well. Uh, but I tell you, that is my family uh, because I know that not every family looks like mine in this room. Uh, a lot of families, you might have a whole bunch more kids than I have. Uh, you might have no kids. You might have kids who once lived in your home and no longer live there. Every family looks different. If you look at the people around you, every family looks different. And the reason I tell you that is I wanna make a point every single week that I teach in this series to let you know that if your family doesn't look like this or you don't have kids, no matter what your home life looks like, this series is for you. And the reason I tell you that is because my wife and I, we sat through many family, many parenting sermons when our home was empty. We sat through a whole bunch of them when we felt like we were left out, like it wasn't for us, like we couldn't apply it. And I want you to know that this is for you, no matter what your family looks like. Because the reality is that all of us as disciples of Christ, if you are in Christ, you have been called to make disciples. And so throughout this series, we're talking specifically about what that looks like in the home, but also same truths can be applied outside the home. So a little review of where we've been in this series. In week one, Pastor Will was here and we talked about the mindset of family discipleship. How most of us, we go through life and we think our role as parents specifically is to raise up graduates of high school and to get them out, 
get them married, right? To, to raise people who make a bunch of money, raise nice, polite adults. But we have to shift our mindset because our perspective as parents is to not raise a Division I athlete or a, you know, someone on the honor roll. Our job is to raise a disciple of Jesus. And so we talked about 30,000 foot view of family discipleship changing our mindset. And then last week, we went on the way down, zooming in, we went through a little storm cloud because we talked about a whole bunch of mess, brokenness, and sin in our families. And that was a fun message that Parker uh, walked us through last week talking about how broken our families are, right? But our families aren't just broken because of us individually and our personal sin. They're broken. What we talked about last week is how the generational sin, that iniquity passed down our family tree. But the good news of Jesus isn't, it's just that not just does Jesus's work on the cross and, and work through the resurrection cover your personal sins, it covers the generational sins. He was crushed for your iniquities. And so we talked about the mess in our families. And then this week and next week, we're gonna be talking more specifically about the makeup of family discipleship. What does it look like practically in family discipleship? We addressed the mess. We talked about the mindset. We're gonna talk about the makeup, the framework. And before I get into it, I was talking to Tyler backstage earlier this morning after Circle Up with the band. And uh, I was talking about how, man, this this week and next week, it's very, very practical. It's very hands-focused. And we were just talking about, man, I, I don't want anyone to walk out of here thinking, man, if I go do this stuff and I go uh, disciple well in my family and I, I do my best to raise a good kid, God will love me. That is not what we're talking about tonight. As, as that pre-roll reminded us, as Parker reminded us, as these songs remind us, everything we talk about today, though it's practical, we do it from a place of having his approval in Jesus. You do not do these things for acceptance. Jesus won that for you on the cross, and it is yours by grace through faith. So as we talk about this, remember that, because it's so easy to look at our hands and think about what do I need to do but it's not what do I need to do to earn, it's what do I do in response. So as we talk about family discipleship, there's really four different areas of life, four different like spheres of life that kind of make up family discipleship. And there's model, moments, minutes, and milestones. It's real easy, they all start with them because Pastor Will is a part of our teaching team and he loves alliteration. So, but we, uh, we wanted to give you a little takeaway, a little reminder for this series. And so we got these magnets printed and you see all the different spheres of discipleship right here. And then they're all held together by the gospel because the gospel is the heart of our discipleship, amen? So uh, I wanna encourage you, these are all, there's a bunch of these at Next Steps. On your way out, as you're talking to the Lopez's at Next Steps, make sure you grab one of these. It's a magnet, so we wanna, Throw this on your fridge, throw it on something metal at work, and it'll stick there, right, like a magnet does. And it'll remind you, and because we are forgetful people, we need our perspective, our mindset shifted because we have to be intentional as we walk through discipleship in our lives. And the other thing is while you're at Net Steps, because you're gonna be there all afternoon because I'm giving you three things to do. Talk to the Lopez's, grab one of these. And then there's also a QR code on a piece of paper. 
you don't know what that is, then you probably haven't gone to like Huey's over the past year. Uh, QR code is that little weird hieroglyphic, hieroglyphic looking thing uh, on your table that shows you the menu. We have one of those out there that will take you to the resource page on our website. And the reason I tell you that is on our resource page, we have at the very top, it's family discipleship resources we wanna give you. And they're useful for family discipleship. And honestly, they're useful for outside of family discipleship. But some of the, my favorite books I've ever written are on that uh, list. So go check that out. Go look at that QR code. Uh, Magnet Lopez's QR code, next steps. Um, so within these four spheres of discipleship, they can really be divided in half into two categories. The first one is the top two of moments and model. They're more spontaneous times in our lives just as we go, as we live our lives. And then the bottom two, the minutes and the milestones, which we'll talk about next week, they're the more structured times of discipleship in our lives. So this week, we're gonna focus on the top two of spontaneous moments. And in order to do that, we're gonna look at Deuteronomy chapter six. So the book of Deuteronomy, it takes place after the exodus where God set his people free. The Israelites set them free from captive, uh, captivity and uh, slavery in Egypt, set them free from, from Pharaoh and was taking them to the promised land on their way. He gives them the law as his people. Here's my law. Here's how to worship me in response. Here's how to live in light of who I am. Gives them the law and immediately they turn their back to him and rebel against him. And so what does God do? He takes them through a long journey through the wilderness. And that rebellious generation dies out and they come up to the promised land, Deuteronomy. And Moses is giving this big, long sermon of a big reminder of who God is, what he has done, and how they are to live as his followers and his people. And so we come to Deuteronomy chapter six. Let's stand and read uh, verses four to seven together. Deuteronomy six, verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Which, if you remember, that's what Jesus says, the greatest commandment. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You can grab a seat. So Moses, he says, the Lord our God, talking about Yahweh, the Lord our God, he is one. That is the essential truth of who God is. It's saying he is the one and only. He is the one true God. All the, the Baal and the, the other false gods that uh, the Canaanites the, in, in the promised land that they were worshiping, he says, they aren't the real thing. Yahweh, he is the real one. He is the one true God. And then he says, how do we live in response to who he is, what he's done? We're to love him with everything we are. And that commandment is first to live in your heart and then communicated to the next generation. And so we see in these first two verses, the first spheres, fears, spheres, it's a hard word to say, spheres of the framework, modeling and moments. So we're gonna talk about modeling first, and here's how we're gonna define it. And I wanna give credit to uh, 
Matt Chandler and Adam Griffin because one of the books on that resource page is a book called Family Discipleship by those two guys. And uh, they actually came up with this definition. So no need to create the wheel, props to them. But here's how we're defining it. Family discipleship modeling is serving as a godly example for your family, living out your genuine walk with God and demonstrating true repentance where and when you fall short. So simply put, one of the ways we disciple our kids is by demonstrating with our lives. We teach our kids what it means to be a disciple of Jesus by, guess what, being a disciple of Jesus, living as a disciple of Jesus. One of the biggest influences that we have on people, people in general, but also especially kids, the next generation, is not what they hear from you, it's what they see in you. Because the way we live has a big impact on people. And the way we live has just as much, if not more, influence on people than what we say, right? And the people in your family, they're the ones that are like around you the most, for the most part, right? They're the ones that see you every morning and see you at night. They're the ones, coffee after coffee, They see you on work calls and work Zooms. They see you driving down 385. They see you all the time, for better or worse. Because guess what? They're watching you. They're learning from you. And kids especially, they're mimicking you. And if you're a parent, you're probably sitting here like, oh, man. They're watching, they're learning. Has anybody, have you ever seen, uh, whether it's your kid or maybe just someone you have influence over and they do something and it just makes you so mad and you're just like, they're grounded for 17 years. I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat them. Please don't do that. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ground them, I'm gonna spank them, whatever. I'm gonna punish them. And then as you're getting so mad, you're like, You ever, you ever experienced that, anybody? Yeah, you see it in someone else and you're like, mm, that's me. I, uh, about a month ago, my wife and I, we were at home and uh, she said, hey, uh, when, you, when you cough, I'm gonna start needing you to, clo- uh, to cover your mouth, which I do in public. Just when it, I'm at home, I'm gross sometimes, all right? Um, but she said, I'm gonna need you to start covering your mouth. And I said, Brittany, baby, um, I love you. Uh, we've been married nine years. Why does that bother you now? And she said, it doesn't. I don't want her to see you do that and learn to do the exact same thing. And then I uh, wept, and I'm just kidding. Um, but it's right, right? The way we live has influence over people. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, train up a child in the way he should go, but be sure to go that way yourself. That's true, right? And, and I mean, that, I wholeheartedly agree with this, but what if you shifted some of the wording a little bit? No offense to Pastor Spurgeon, but what if it said, train your child in the way he should go by going that way yourself? You train them in the way they should go because they're watching you. They're learning from you. 
because you go that way yourself. That's why Paul in Colossians 4, in verse 5, he says, Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. He says, Act wisely, live wisely, watch how you live. And he's not talking about kids specifically, he's talking about outsiders, he's talking about just unbelievers. Because people watch us, and the way we live influences people. But here's the problem. If we're honest and we look at our families, our lives, our discipleship circles, our community, are we truly modeling what we want people to learn? Are we preaching the good news of Jesus by the way we live? Or are we expecting our kids, the next generation, to grab a hold of something that they don't see in us? Let me ask you this. Does this phrase sound familiar? Do as I say and not as I do. Anybody ever heard that one before? Yeah. How about, how about this? How about this? Uh, better yet, don't raise your hand for this one, please. But uh, anybody ever caught themselves saying that before? How often do we tell our kids, tell somebody one thing, and then we go and do the complete opposite? How often do we catch ourselves telling people to be patient, to be kind, to be gracious and merciful to people, and then they're in the back seat while we're driving down 385, honking our horn and flipping people off, cussing them out. Shout out 385. How often do we sit there and we say, you know, it's so important, like God gave you a body and he wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be a steward of your body. Like, you gotta eat healthier as you're sitting there, like, eating your chocolate ice cream every night. Well, do as I say, not as I do. Too late for me. You're still young, right? Or how often do we tell our kids, hey, don't talk about people behind their back, but then they, they see you walk in talking to a coworker about Kathy and accounting. How annoying she was. Well, do as I say, not as I do. And that's not, like, even the spiritual things. How often do we tell our kids how, how incredibly beautiful it is that we have a God who loves us so much and he is sovereign and he wants us to come to him with our worries and our anxieties, but they have never once saw, seen you stop in the midst of your worry and go to your heavenly father? Or do we tell them how important it is to pick up God's word because it's in his word that he tells us who he is, that the Holy Spirit uses it to transform us, but they've never even seen you open it, except when you show up here on a Sunday. How, how often do we find ourselves telling them how incredible it is that we have everything we could ever need in the gospel, that we never have to live for acceptance or value or significance but then they see you work 75, 80 hours a week because you're starving for significance in this world. I'll move on. How about this one? Fake it till you make it. You ever heard that one? How can we model for the next generation if they never see who we really are? They see the mask that we want everybody else to see. 
Parker actually alluded to this last week when he was talking about generational sin. He was talking about how he talked to somebody the week before, I believe, and this person said, man, I grew up in a house where I know my parents made mistakes. I never saw them. So this person grew up in a house where they felt like they had to strive for perfection. If they messed up, well, then they're the worst because they don't know what it looks like. Or how about this last one? Just silence. Nothing. Because so often in the society we live in, we're relationally absent now. We're relationally absent in people's lives. Can't model if we're not there. Because in, in our society, we, our schedule is so full of sports and school and work and hobbies and this and that. We might, our, our, our address might be the same, but we're never, never there together. Even if we are there together, are you really, are you really uh, present if your face is in a screen? And your whole life revolves around a screen at home? We're relationally absent. We're physically together less. Therefore, we're emotionally together less and spiritually together less. Because our homes are filled with barriers that keep us relationally absent. So maybe the question for you is what barriers exist in your home, in your schedule, in your living room? We live in a do as I say, not as I do, fake it till you make it, relationally absent society. But in order to properly disciple our children to be disciples of Jesus, we have to model for them. And that involves being reliably, having reliable integrity and relational proximity. Reliable integrity, integrity is one of those words that we might hear it and we might say it sometimes, but like we really have trouble defining what it is. Do we have any math people in the room? Okay. Integrity comes from the same root word as an integer, right? You know what an integer is, right? Carrie knows. She said, I like math. An integer is a whole number. It's a number that is not 1.25. It's not a one and three fourths. It's not fractioned. It's whole, it is complete, it is consistent, it is reliable. So to live with integrity means that what you say is consistent with how you act. And the way you treat your family at home is the same way you treat your coworkers at work is the same way you treat people here at High Point Collierville on Sunday mornings. And the way that you speak and the way that you act is consistent with what you believe. That is your whole self integrated. We have to live with reliable integrity. So back to that Spurgeon quote, if you wanna throw that one back up there. Teach them the way they should go, but you better be sure you go that way yourself. Because how can you truly model for your kids if you say this, but then you do this? We have to be people of integrity. It's the idea that Paul had in 1 Corinthians 11. 
He said, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And again, he's not talking specifically about kids. He's talking about just people. He's talking to the Corinthians. Now, he didn't mean like, hey, don't look at Jesus, just look at Paul. Paul knew we are all to look at Christ, but he also knew that people need godly examples. People need someone modeling for them. And so he said, I'm following Christ. I'm being formed by Christ. I'm fishing for Christ, so follow me as I follow him. Imitate me as I imitate him. And the same should go with our families in our discipleship circles. If we want our kids to follow Jesus, we have to model what it means to rest in the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. If we want our kids to be formed by Jesus, we have to model for them the fruit of the Spirit. We have to model for them what it means to grab God's word and meditate over it and pray over it. If we want our kids to be formed by Jesus, we, we need them to see and we need to model what it looks like for us to live in community. If, if we want them to be fish, fishers for Christ, guess what? We have to model what it means to love our neighbor. We have to model sharing our faith. We have to model it. It says in the, uh, the book, Family Discipleship, that I mentioned earlier, it says if there is something in your child or someone that you have influence over, if you see something and identify something that, that you know needs to be formed in them, pray that it be formed in you. If your child is struggling with patience, correct them, pray for them, but you guess what? Pray that the Holy Spirit do his redeeming work in you to make you patient. Because yes, you correct with their mouth, your mouth, you pray with your mouth, but model with your life. Pray for it in you. And the last thing on this, reliable integrity. Integrity does not mean live perfectly. You won't be able to do that one, Okay. If you pull up that, that definition of, of modeling again, look at the very last phrase. It says, demonstrating true what? It's up there, you can read it with me. True what? Repentance, right, thank you. Thank you, Carrie, on top of it. Demonstrating true repentance where and when you fall short. It is so, it's not just okay that your kids see you fall short, it is important that they see you fall short. Because it's important, not just that they see you fall short, but that when you fall short, they see you repent and confess your sins and embrace the good news of Jesus, the mercy and forgiveness found in the cross and the resurrection. That's modeling. There is nothing that screams the good news more than a child seeing their parent mess up, fall short, and run to the cross. And the other part of modeling is relational proximity, which I'm not talking about 
uh, passive proximity, your mere existence near your child does not like osmosis to them, right? Like that's not modeling. Talking about intentional quality proximity. We have to be active participants in our kids' lives. Active participants. I did not say helicopter parent. I said active participants. Be a part of their lives. But then here's the better part. Don't just be a part of their lives because I think honestly as parents, we try to be a part of our kids' lives, right? But how often do we actually invite them into our life? How often do we let them see behind the curtain? Let them see how we use the wisdom of God to make our decisions, to see how we make the decision process. How often do we model for them and bring them near and let them in when we're doing something as simple as going and taking somebody a, one of them, take them a meal sign-up sheets, intentionally bringing them along in your life. Because when you're intentionally near them, they see how you treat someone when they treat you poorly. They see these things and you model it for them. And again, if you are relationally uh, near them, they will see your flaws. It'll be harder to fake it till you make it. But that's a good thing. And I don't, I don't uh, mention this one to, be, to say, hey, look at Drew, uh, so please don't hear it that way. But there's a guy I uh, disciple, it doesn't have to do with my daughter, uh, but there's a guy who I disciple over the past year and a half. And uh, we usually meet during the week, during the day, go to lunch or something. Uh, but about two months ago, I had a conversation with my wife and I told him that we're not gonna meet during the day anymore. Uh, but now he comes over to our house every Monday night. And he has dinner with my family, and he uh, sees us put our daughter to the bed. A few weeks ago, he read her her bedtime story. Why is that important? Why did I do that? I wanna share my life with him. I don't just wanna have a structured time that we sit down. We do that. We do that after she goes to bed. But he comes and he sees how I treat my wife. And he sees how I love my daughter. And he also sees how I mess up every single week, how I ask for my wife for forgiveness. Modeling. In order to disciple our kids, we have to model with reliable integrity, relational proximity. Think about how Jesus did it. What, did, what was Jesus' Jesus's relationship with his, speaking about proximity right there. Think about Jesus and his disciples. What did they do? They lived life together. They traveled together. And as, as much integrity as we want to have, Jesus lived perfect righteousness. When he was, when he was being mocked and ridiculed, going to a cross, he showed them exactly what it looks like to, to surrender to the Father's will. When they scattered and when he was being, uh, people were, were spitting on him and, and beating him, he showed them what it looks like 
Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Modeling. And what's really cool is if we look at our body of believers here at High Point Collierville, we see people modeling right and left all over the place. Brett and Allison Harpel, serving kids, serving students, and they model for those kids and students, right? But you know who else they model for? Their kids, because they serve right alongside of them. They serve with them. Corinne, sitting right there, she gets to see her mom interact, talk about the gospel. Jay gets to see his dad. It's modeling. The Harrises, all 27 of them. (laughs) This summer when I was here teaching, I remember looking center section, back row right there. All of them were sitting next to each other, sitting by each other right now. Why is that modeling? Because guess what? Those kids get to sit by their parents and see their hands raised worshiping their savior. They get to see them open God's word and not just like fold their arms and kind of fall asleep, but open God's word and meditate on it as we walk through it together as a body. And then Tyler uh, Stevenson, that guy who's saying, he uh, told me like a month ago, we were talking about this series and he was bragging on his wife and he said, you know, there are so many times when Gracie's at the, the breakfast table and she's sipping on her coffee, but she has God's word open and she's praying over it. And there's times when the, their daughters get up early and come into the kitchen and you know what? What do they see? They see their mom who has her Bible open, prioritizing her time with her heavenly father. I, I thought about this during first service uh, when I was sitting over here and the Lopez's came up here. The first service, they just had their daughter with them, but this service, they had all three of them. Think about what they're modeling for their kids. They're saying Jesus gave his life for us. Our lives are his. We're gonna go spread the gospel to the world. And then I thought about Mr. Lloyd. He doesn't have kids in his home, but he, you know what? He serves at crew. He serves here on Sundays. He welcomes every single guest that walks in this door, these doors. And you know what? I, I realized this during first service. He also models for us worship as he amens, as he sings loud, as he, you've seen him doing his dance. And he actually, whether he realized this or not, in between services, he was modeling for me because he was talking to me and he grabbed me by the arm and he took me over to the Lopez's. And you know what he did? He sat there and immediately laid hands on them and we prayed for him. Modeling. Whether you have kids in your home or not. The world we live in, the next generation specifically, they're starving for godly examples to model what it looks like to follow Jesus. And by grace, you can be one of those examples. That's modeling. That's only one 
sphere, we're gonna move on to moments because how important it is to demonstrate with our lives, it's also important to declare with our mouths, right? Here's how we're defining moments. Capturing and leveraging opportunities in the course of everyday life for the purpose of gospel-centered conversations. Look at Deuteronomy uh, 6, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit at your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Moses isn't saying, hey, when you talk about who God is and what he's done, make sure you're walking or sitting, okay? Those are the only two uh, postures you can take. No, he's, he's mentioning all that. He's saying, in our, your everyday life, let the word of God fill your conversations. It's the spontaneous moments, the ordinary moments. And honestly, the majority of the discipleship times in our lives are ordinary, spontaneous moments. My wife and I, we went to a marriage conference several years ago. My boy, Paul Tripp, was teaching. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, your life is not mostly made of big, significant moments. Your life is mostly made of millions and millions and millions of seemingly insignificant, spontaneous, everyday, mundane moments. And his point was love your spouse, not just on the big, big impactful, like, it's happy Valentine's Day, baby, I love you. Or you jump in front of a bullet to take a bullet for. He's saying, live in the small moments. Love your spouse in the small moments. And the same applies here. Is the the structured set-aside time, those are important, and we're gonna talk about those next week. But our life is filled with spontaneous everyday moments to intentionally speak the truth of who God is, what he's done into our lives. We read uh, Colossians 4, 5, act wisely towards outsiders making the most of the time. Look at the next verse. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. He says, don't just make the most of the time by the way you live, how you model, but guess what? Make the most of the time of your speech, of your interactions, of your conversations. Does that mean that every single conversation with your family has to include the words Bible or Jesus? No, of course not. But every single moment is an opportunity. Every moment is an opportunity. We talked about the new perspective, right? How we are, got, we are made to be disciple makers. We have to take that perspective, use it as a filter in our everyday life, in those everyday moments. But again, if we're honest, how often do we let those moments just pass on by? My, my small group, my wife and I, our small group, we were talking about this last week and we, we were talking about reasons that we let get in the way of those moments. And one of, the, one, of the, one of our friends, she mentioned busyness. We're so busy, we're too busy, where we're doing what we're doing. If, 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 if someone who has, we have influence on, our kids, whoever it is, they come to us, we just kind of dismiss them or we ignore them. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, we just go back to what we're doing. 
We don't take the time to stop what we're doing to care about the one we love. Somebody else said selfishness. We don't make the most of those moments because honestly our heart would rather talk about something else. Somebody else said uh, comfort, the path of least resistance. Because when topics like, like sex or, or politics, doubts, when these things come into our, our sphere, our lives, we just kind of, nah, that'd be weird to talk about. I don't want to mess with that uncomfortable conversation. They'll figure it out. But I promise you, if we don't teach them what, what the gospel, what the good news of Jesus, how it sheds light on those difficult topics, somebody's gonna teach them something. And it's likely not gonna line up with God's word. But we say, no, 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 that's not comfortable. But in order to make disciples of Jesus, we have to be intentional with the everyday moments. Here's what Paul Tripp says in his book, Parenting. He says, God has opened your eyes to his presence and his glory so that you can help open the eyes of your children. So capture the opportunities around you to point to him. He has opened your eyes to his glory and his grace for your good, but also so that he can use you to open somebody else's eyes. And guess what? He's filled your life with a whole bunch of everyday moments in order to intentionally fill those moments with the truth of who God is and what he's done. And I wrote down a few examples of what this looks like. First one, countering questions. There's gonna be times when people come to us, kids are gonna come to us because they love to ask why, and they're gonna say, why do we do that? Why does that happen? If you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And look at Deuteronomy further down in chapter six in verse 20. When your son asks you in the future, what is the meaning behind the decrees and the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, well, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. See, as we model, we get to be able to declare with our mouths in those moments, the why behind the what. When my daughter comes to me one day and says, Daddy, why do you read the Bible? That's an opportunity that God has given me to say, well, baby girl, God loves us so much, he gives us his word to tell us who he is. He gives us his word to reveal who he is to us. That's why I read it, because I wanna know more about who he is, because he loves us so much. It's those everyday moments. They don't have to be big, small moments. And then the comforting moments. When your kids come to you, they're suffering, they're hurting. Instead of dismissing them and, and, and pushing them away, say, oh baby, I'm so sorry, go play. We stop, pause, talk to them, listen to them, ask questions, but not just listen to the words that come out of your mouth, listen to their heart. Why is that important? So that we can meet them where they are with gospel-filled empathy and gospel-filled encouragement. 
The world will say, well, we'll just build up their self-esteem. That's not what we want to do. We want to build up their esteem in the good news of Jesus. That's what will transform their lives. Comforting moments. Then we have correcting moments. When you see or hear the sin of your child, it is not on accident. God intentionally puts you there to point them to him in those moments. He wants to use you, not to threaten them or hound them or plead with them to please change, but to correct them, pray for them, and point them to Jesus, to the forgiveness, mercy, grace. I was talking to Whitney Clay, who's on staff here as our grow director, and and we were talking the other day, and she was talking about her daughter Carly and how Carly had gotten in trouble for being rude or something, and she was pouting, and Whitney and her husband, BJ, were talking to her, and, and Whitney, they just weren't getting anywhere, and Whitney said, you know, Carly, last week, mommy was rude to somebody at work, and I had to go and ask for forgiveness, and Whitney said, she shot up so quick out of bed, she said, you did? Why? Well, baby, I messed, I was wrong. And when, when I'm wrong, I have, to, I have to ask for forgiveness. And guess what that led to? Carly saying, well, what's forgiveness? Small moments. And then we have culture moments. Our everyday lives, we watch movies, TVs, news headlines. How can we leverage those moments? Uh, the guy who disciples me, Jim Pritchard, he was telling me last, or yeah, last week, how he, uh, over the past few weeks, he went and saw a movie with his grandson. And they were talking about the movie after the movie, and it wasn't just like, oh, wasn't that so cool? Wasn't that great? Love that scene. He said, did you hear what he said in that moment? Do you hear how wise that is? And pointed him to God's word. So small. And then, uh, my, my, my friend Thomas, uh, Thomas Johnson, he doesn't have kids, but he serves at crew with middle school boys, so that's fun. Um, but he was telling me the other day that he's always looking for these moments to be able to speak the truth of Jesus into these kids, and he's, he's, he loves anime. Uh, but he said he found out that these boys, they, they were into anime, so they started talking about this TV show or movie, anime, whatever it is. Uh, I don't watch it, so I don't know. But he was talking about how there's this character who has this redemptive arc in this, this TV show. And Thomas said, so we were talking about this show and I talked about this character. We talked about that, that, that the redemptive arc and it led to them talking about redemption found in Jesus. Small moments. Then we have commonplace moments. This is the last one. Everyday moments, dinner time, car rides, yard work. Instead of blaring the music in the car, instead of gathering the family at dinner time around the TV to watch the voice, what if we leverage those moments? Can you imagine driving down 385, because that's where we all drive, and you see that sunset, and instead of just saying, hmm, that's pretty, what if you say, hey, do you see that? 
No one could create something like that except our God. Isn't he great? Five seconds, but it's an impactful moment. Matt Chandler in that, in that uh, discipleship book, he was talking about how him and his kids, they were building this fort, this uh, treehouse thing in their backyard. And you would think Matt Chandler being a pastor would like go into a big sermon about something. But he said, I spent one minute and said, isn't it awesome how the Bible describes our God as a fortress, as a strong tower? Small moments. And again, if you aren't a parent, your life is filled with moments too, whether it's with the next generation or it's with your coworkers, your parents, brothers, sisters, your life is filled with moments. And it doesn't take much to be intentional with those moments. And you think about how Jesus took those moments and made the most of them. Look in John 3, when Nicodemus brought questions to him, Jesus didn't dismiss them, right? Jesus took the time to walk through the, the good news of why he's here, to re, be reborn. It, when his disciples are with him and they see the lady tithing every little penny that she had, teaching moment, over and over again, Jesus uses small moments. Yes, there's some times where he sat on the mountainside. But there's also time as he lived with his disciples that he spoke truth to them. We don't have to make every single moment a discipleship moment, but every moment is an opportunity. And I once heard uh, Paul Tripp say this, that our job as parents specifically, but as disciple makers, it's to give people puzzle pieces because one day they're going to be trying to put together the puzzle of life and our job is to make sure that we speak the truth into their lives, the good news of Jesus, so that they have the right puzzle pieces when they're putting it together because if we don't give it to them, somebody else will. So that's modeling, that's moments. Now, the point of this morning is not uh, for me to high-five you on the way out and say, go get them, go model better, talk about Jesus more. You got it. That will last until lunch, maybe. The point of this morning, the encouragement today is not go be a better parent, it's go be a child of God. Go be a child of God. Because in Christ, by grace, through faith in Jesus, you are a child first and a parent second. Or if you're not a parent, you are a disciple first of Jesus before you're a disciple maker. Your identity is not found in how well you model or how much you talk about Jesus in the car. Your identity is given to you by the grace of Jesus because he won it for you on the cross. So that's your encouragement today. See, the good news, and Parker said this first service, 
is he reminded us that in Christ, because of what he took on our behalf, because he was forsaken, we may be forgiven. We are brought near in Christ. It's in Christ we have every spiritual need given to us. It's in Christ that he gives us his spirit to do his redeeming work within us, to, to, to take the mirror of his word and convict us, to comfort us with the good news of Jesus, to change us from the inside out by grace through faith in Jesus. What's the work that we are to do? To believe in the one he has sent. So if you're in Christ today and you're, you're following, you've given your life to Jesus because he gave his life for you, my encouragement today is trust in his redeeming work within you, to trust in the one that he sent, to trust that the Holy Spirit be sensitive to how he leads you, to prompt you in those little moments. Because you don't make every moment a discipleship moment, but the Holy Spirit will guide you. Are you listening to his heartbeat, to who he is? But some of us, some of you this morning may be struggling to model, struggling to talk and make the most of those moments, talking about the good news of Jesus because you simply have never accepted it because you don't believe it. And if that's you today, my encouragement to you, Scripture tells us as long as it's called today, it's not too late. And I encourage you, do not leave this building without talking to somebody about what it means to follow Jesus. What is it that he has really done for us? You can go to next steps when you're talking to the Lopez's. There's gonna be people there. Talk to them. There's gonna be a, a little team here in a second, prayer team. Come pray with them, talk with them. Don't leave without talking to somebody.